Welcome to the 3D Parent Podcast. My name is Bevan Walters, your host and founder of The 3D Parent. I'm a certified parent coach and have spent the last decade living my calling in life, helping parents navigate the tough stuff like tantrums, sibling conflict, screen time overload, and managing the transition into the teenage years. My purpose is to provide you with the tools you need as a parent to lead with dignity, direction, and deep connection in your family relationships. My goal in creating the 3D Parent Podcast is to inform, empower, and increase confidence in parents so they can trust their instincts and make the best decisions possible for their families. For these reasons, I've rated this podcast FPEO for parents' ears only. Parenting is challenging, but you don't have to do it alone. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the 3D Parent Podcast. Today, I am going to be talking about ways in which you can bullyproof your child. First, though, I want to give a trigger warning. I will refer to youth suicide and self-harming behaviors as it relates to bullying. So proceed with caution if talking about those topics is a trigger for you. No doubt all of us as parents want our kids to have a smooth experience free from hurt and wounding when they interact with their peers in social settings. All parents want their children to be kind to others and receive other people's kindness in return. And no doubt bullying and our children being potentially bullied um, by peers is one of the biggest fears that parents universally have when they send their children off to school or other social situations with peers. And we've all read the headlines and heard on the news and radio instances where children are bullied so severely that they end up ending their lives via suicide. And this is something that is happening globally, not just the United States, but around the world. This increase in suicide from children um, who have been mercilessly and relentlessly bullied online. So first, I want to really briefly say a word about the terms I'll be using, bully and bullying. No question, these words are really loaded. And many of us are aware that schools have so-called anti-bullying policies and consequences in place should there be identified incidences of bullying. But Clearly defining what constitutes bullying is hard and oftentimes subjective. So I just wanted to kind of briefly touch on what I mean when referring to bullying. So we kind of are on the same page with that use of that word. In the most kind of basic, straightforward form, bullying is a pattern of purposefully harming and intimidating and humiliating another person perceived by the bully to be more vulnerable or weak. And the intimidation and the harm can take physical forms or emotional forms or sometimes both. But again, this these terms, like I said, they're loaded. And sometimes they get thrown around a bit like loosely, bullying and what is a bully. Um, Sometimes kids will say, well, I just got bullied when they're referring to maybe a child who um, excluded them or 
in a singular incident of being treated rudely or teased, or maybe there's a child who um, acted out aggressively and hurt another child, those no doubt are problematic behaviors, but they in and of themselves don't technically land in the same category as bullying because of them being isolated events and not a pattern of repeated incidences of that type of behavior. And then there are also these kind of gray areas that may or may not fit into the collective understanding of what bullying is. Things like um, excluding, gossiping, talking behind another person's back or spreading rumors, laughing at somebody when they make a mistake or do something kind of embarrassing. No doubt those are mean-spirited behaviors, but do they fit the definition of bullying? Some might say yes, some might say no. If there's a pattern of it directed at a child of these types of things, um, it might fit into the description of bullying. If it's not, then it's potentially just kind of like some isolated mean um, behaviors. Now, sometimes bullying occurs in plain sight of others, of authority figures, and can easily be spotted and identified. But more commonly, bullies learn to be or develop strategies to become opportunistic and take advantage of times when there are no adults or no authority figures to witness their behaviors. I want to pause at this point, or not pause, but insert right now a personal story about my experience being the victim of bullying when I was around 10 years old. Um, at this time, I switched schools, and I switched out of a school that I had been in since kindergarten and entered a new school in the fifth grade. And this was a pretty small school. It just had two classes per grade, and most of the kids had gone to the school together since since they were in kindergarten. So I was one of two new students coming at that time. And it was kind of challenging to figure out how to fit in and make friends in this um, environment where these kids were really tightly knit. Um, as I said, there was another new student, and it was a boy. And from my perspective, he seemed to kind of fit in and be accepted right away and easily kind of integrate himself into the um, other kids and, and make friends. And that was not the case for me. Um, as a new girl, I became really aware right away that there was a pecking order that was in place. Um, and at the very top was a girl who I'm going to call Liza and not use her actual name. Um, and she, Liza, was the person who targeted and bullied me. Um, at times, this would take the form of Liza um, orchestrating or encouraging fellow classmates to throw food at me during lunch. And these other kids who were desperate to stay on Liza's good side would act accordingly. Um, similarly, these kids sometimes would act friendly towards me to my face, but then set me up for humiliation um, in front of Liza. Uh, one example of this I could recall pretty easily was I was sitting next to another student. We were working on um, 
some type of classwork together as partners, which we were allowed and encouraged to do for this particular assignment. And what we decided to do was work on it together and write all the answers down on my partner's page. And then when we were done, I was going to copy the answers onto my page. So we had this agreement, we did the work together. And when it came time for me to copy the answers onto my own page, the girl I was sitting next to got up and came around to the other side of the room to where Liza was and whispered something into her ear. And what followed was Liza very loudly saying, oh my gosh, Bevan's cheating. Bevan's copying out of that other kid's page. And um, therefore, you know, humiliated me and also tried to get me into trouble. But definitely the worst incident that I remember about Liza's bullying happened one day during recess when I went to the bathroom and Liza happened to follow me in there and it was just the two of us. And she cornered me and said, it told me that she had pulled the whole class and that nobody liked me. And she just was just completely cruel and heartless in that delivery of that information. And then I remember feeling shocked, but also kind of numb to how hurtful what she had said was. And I think I said something along the lines of like, so what, or who cares, something like that. And then she left and I kind of held my head high. And when I left the bathroom, I went out into the playground and just surveyed the scene and tried to figure out where I should go, knowing the information that Liza had just told me. And I spotted three girls on a play structure. Um, one girl, her name, I'll call her Elizabeth. She was very large and much um, more mature looking than the rest of the kids in the class. Um, she appeared almost like twice her age in terms of her size. And then there was another girl who kind of always looked a bit disheveled. And then a third girl who was very shy and quiet. And I don't think up to that point, I'd ever heard her speak. But Elizabeth, the first girl was the one who uh, spoke to me first. And she said, hey, you know what, Liza just asked if I liked you. And I said no, because everybody was saying no. But I just want to let you know that you're, you're okay, you're all right, and you can play with us. And I still have a really special place in my heart for that girl and that kindness that she showed me that day, for sure. But I also wanted to share the other piece of the story here, which has to do with my impulse to kind of numb and not feel, but also not to share what had happened and, and the bullying I was receiving. I didn't share that with my parents or any teachers because at the time there was a lot of stress in my family, mainly because my mother was very ill and they were trying to discover the source of her illness. And because of that, I really didn't want to worry her or burden her or my, or my father um, with my problems. And I wanted to make it easy for my parents and I wanted them to believe that I was doing great and making friends. So I kind of pretended that I was. And Honestly, I think if I had been bullied prior to my mother getting sick and the stress surrounding that, I probably would have told my parents. I don't know why I would have chosen not to. But during that time and given the circumstances uh, surrounding me and what was going on uh, with, with my mother, I didn't at that time. I just kind of endured it on my own. 
And I was also very lucky that my experience of being targeted and bullied by Liza and the other girls who were kind of trying to um, stay on Liza's good side, that was pretty short-lived. I did eventually make some friends that first year at school. And um, the next year, uh, my last year at this school, they mixed up the classes and um, Liza was not in my same classroom and I made a few more friends and, and kind of was able to um, not be subjugated to the same type of bullying treatment that I had um, for the first several months that I was at this new school. But many kids are not as lucky as I am, and they are targeted and bullied relentlessly for large portion of their childhoods. So moving on with bullying in general, beyond schoolyard bullying, um, as children grow up and are interacting with their peers in different ways, and including ways that are virtual, including ways that um, parents oftentimes are not observers nor any other authority figure. And there can be a great increase in bullying. And that is, of course, what we refer to as cyberbullying. And this is something that I know universally just frightens parents because Many of us have become aware of how brutal people can be online because there's this safety net of anonymity that bullies have when they're doing so online or through social media. And incidences of bullying are on the rise largely because of this, because of um, bullying that occurs through the internet, through social media and texting and, and so forth. And these are the types of, of horrific stories we become aware of uh, when we hear about a child who is bullied, cyber bullied, so incredibly and relentlessly that they end up feeling like there's no other choice than to take their lives. And it's so devastating, especially when parents and other authority figures are completely unaware. And it's only when they start investigating what led to a child taking their life via suicide that they uncover these the cyberbullying that has happened. So what can we do as parents to protect our children? How can we help them become bullyproof? Well, when children attend school and other activities with their peers, and we're not there, do we wrap them in bubble wrap? Of course not, we can't. Um, most parents are not willing to isolate their children from peers and are not willing to um, completely keep their children from being out of their sight or interacting with peers unless they're there, and particularly as they get a bit older. So what can we do? Well, that's what I'm going to be sharing with you today is specific strategies to protect your child and help them become bullyproof. Real quick, though, I want to say a brief word about the bully. I want to acknowledge that no child is born a bully. Children who hurt others are hurting deeply themselves, and they need care and intervention and compassion as well. Well, today I'm going to be focusing on the children who could perhaps be targeted by bullies. I will in a future episode talk about 
the making of a bully. And if you identify that your child perhaps has some of these bullying tendencies, understanding where that comes from often and how to address it and help your child get out of that type of behavior. But today, like I said, I'm going to be focusing on protecting your child from becoming wounded by a bully. So here we go. Five strategies to bully-proof your child. Number one, cultivate and nurture a secure parent-child attachment. I talk about attachment a lot on this podcast and will continue to do so because it is so vital to your child's overall success and reaching their potential and flourishing is having that foundation of a strong relationship with their parent. Children need more than anything else a secure attachment with at least one parent or primary caregiver is even better, but at least one. And that secure attachment creates a figurative, bully-proof vest. When we send our children out in the world with this deeply rooted and secure attachment, it protects them from a wounding world. This is the deep connection that I talk about often and of my three Ds of the 3D parent approach. Um, this is one of those Ds, deep connection. This is what I'm talking about. And it's not only the key to leading and orienting and disciplining our children, but it's also a protection mechanism from our children being wounded and deeply hurt for example, by a bully. I went into a lot of depth on this in episode three of my podcast, an episode called Cultivating a Deep Connection with Our Children. And if you haven't heard it yet, or if you're new here, or it's been a while and you want a refresher, I encourage you to listen to that episode. I cannot stress enough how essential this secure attachment is for your child's general well-being, including, like I said, protecting them from wounding from bullies. So like I said, this foundation of a strong attachment provides a protective armor. How, you may be wondering? Well, I'll share it with you. When children feel seen and heard and accepted for who they are in their parents' eyes and in the eyes of their primary attachment figures, they won't believe that they don't belong or are without value like the bullies want them to believe. And furthermore, when, when children sense that they are significant and they're valued and they're loved unconditionally and don't have to work or perform or change who they are to receive that love or to be in relationship with us, they won't believe the bully who wants them to think they are insignificant and unworthy of being liked. So in the story that I shared about my own personal experience being bullied by Liza, I didn't believe Liza's words. I believed myself to be worthy of being liked. And that's largely what gave me the confidence, I believe, to walk out on that playground and approach those girls on that play structure. I didn't know if they'd talk to me or ignore me or be mean to me, but I was willing to try because I was protected by my own bullyproof vest that was largely instilled to me by my parents. And also it didn't 
it was, it didn't go unnoticed. Or as I look back on this period of time, I also recognize that this was a new experience for me up to this point. I had not had issues with being bullied or targeted or fitting with my peers. So that also helped in terms of me feeling um, like Liza's words were not my truth. Now, after hearing this, you might be recognizing that perhaps your relationship with your child needs a little work. And maybe you're realizing that you maybe aren't consistently sending a message to your child that they're significant and valued for exactly who they are. Maybe you are constantly correcting them or criticizing them or sending messages that your child is in some way not acceptable to you for who they are. Maybe you're communicating that they're a bit of a disappointment or not your ideal or not the child that you wish you had or would have picked in a catalog of potential children. Maybe you're always telling your kid they're too loud, too dramatic, too emotional, or too quiet, too shy, too antisocial, too whatever it is, fill in the blank. If a child's own parents are not instilling in them a sense of significance and worthiness, those children just might believe the bully. It's like sending a, a, a soldier onto a battlefield without any armor or protection. So continue to nurture your relationship with your child. Don't um, stop continuing to nurture and grow that relationship and strengthen that attachment. And if you realize that maybe there's a disconnect or that your attachment is insecure, take the lead and take the steps to find ways to strengthen it. And maybe you at one time felt really connected and attached with your child, but that over time has maybe kind of gone away, well, use this time and this reminder to really, again, take the lead in finding ways to improve and connect more with your child. I'm going to move on now to my second strategy to bully-proof your child. And the second suggestion is provide a safe harbor for your children to express and feel all their emotions. This is what I mean. The environment that you create in your home when your children are with you needs to feel safe, safe for them to be able to take off that armor of protection and freely express and feel their emotions. The idea behind your attachment and that strong relationship serving the purpose of protecting your child and creating this so-called bully-proof vest that's meant to protect them when they're not with you. But when they come home, that needs to come off. It's not meant to keep our children from um, ever feeling and expressing their wounds, their hurts, their all their emotions that they're having. The goal here is not to raise our children to be tough or have a thick skin or suck it up or stuff it down. Parents need to make it clear to their children that it's safe and welcome to be vulnerable and feel their hurt, their pain, their sadness, their embarrassment, and know that we can handle it. We can take it. We are willing and want to be there to witness and empathize and support children through all the wounding that they may experience. 
And when our children are expressing their emotions, we need to be free of judgment and control an impulse to maybe react to our child's upsetting emotions. And some kids can have pretty big, loud, messy emotions. Our children need to believe and know that we can handle them. If children don't feel that safety and that ability to be able to express and share their emotions and rest in our care, then they have no other option other than to numb themselves and harden their hearts and put up emotional defenses. Hey there, parents. Are you tired of feeling like your kids are in charge at home, negotiating, demanding, and generally calling all the shots? Well, then I have a free resource for you called 10 Steps to Get Back in Charge of Your Kids. Just click the link below to download your own copy. Let's get you back in the driver's seat. So back to the story I shared, I, at the time, like I shared, I didn't feel free to, to share my feelings with and my, my emotions and my upset with my parents, because at the time I perceived that they couldn't handle it and I didn't want them to have to deal with it or handle it. And I also recognized I didn't have a healthy emotional response to the bullying I was receiving. I do remember feeling fairly numb. And I, again, was really lucky that this is a pretty temporary and short-lived period of time. And eventually I did share my experience with my parents. Um, and I told them, you know, years later what I had kind of endured. And of course, they felt terrible and so sad that I had experienced that bullying. And also they felt really sad that I had kept it from them. And I also was able many years later to eventually feel the sadness and, and cry those tears that I couldn't at, at the time. I looked back at my little 10-year-old self and I cried for that child who had to um, endure that and not feel those feelings. I eventually did process those feelings and in so doing was able to, to heal. But children who and endure ongoing wounding and lots of bullying, and it goes on for longer and longer periods of time, they often lose and numb their feelings also for long stretches of time as a defense. And this prolonged numbing often has to have a place to go. Children can't just will themselves to numb out pain forever. And so oftentimes children will turn to numbing behaviors at home, things like using food and screens to kind of numb themselves, um, or even more concerning, turning to drugs and alcohol and self-harm and other things that are very high risk to, again, avoid feeling those feelings and to numb themselves. These kids who are numbing themselves for a long period of times are very, very susceptible to experiencing depression and also, in the most extreme cases, of course, suicide and suicidal ideation. So children who are numbing themselves, they don't pick and choose what feelings they numb. There's a zero. They numb themselves from all feelings that are vulnerable, including caring feelings. And that sometimes leads children who have been bullied 
to become bullies themselves and prey upon those that they consider to be weaker, like younger kids at school or younger siblings or maybe pets and animals. So that's another indication that a child may be numbing themselves because of some wounding that they're experiencing. So instead of a numb and hardened and tough heart, what children need to have and we need to protect is a soft and vulnerable heart. And what um, psychologist Dr. Gordon Neufeld refers to as a hearty heart. Um, That's kind of hard to say, hearty heart. Um, I want to read just a brief quote um, from an article written by Dr. Deborah McNamara, um, kind of explaining what Dr. Neufeld meant by a hearty versus a hardened heart. Here's from the article. Psychologist Gordon Neufeld states there is a difference between a hardened heart, which does not feel vulnerable emotion, and one that is hardy and feels a lot. Those with hardened hearts seem impervious to pain and suffering withstand emotional wounding, exhibit invulnerability, and are short on empathy or caring for others. People with hearty hearts feel and express their vulnerable emotions, such as sadness, caring, fear, share, disappointment, or dependence, and continue to thrive despite facing adversity. The absence of vulnerable emotion is not a sign of health, but one of human stuckness. And the article goes on to say, The clearest sign our children are under emotional distress is when their vulnerable feelings are no longer palpable. It means their brain is equipping them to deal with a world that is too wounding or too much for their heart to bear. A child who cries and tells you they're sad, afraid, or even worried isn't in trouble emotionally despite the troubles they face. Their upset is a sign their emotional system is working hard to find an answer to the distress they are under. It was never our job as parents to calm kids down, but to restore emotional balance and to transform their feelings when needed. The kids who lack upset, who appear to be the most calm or quiet may actually be the ones who are the most defended against their vulnerable emotions. I don't long for calm in my children, but the emotional storms that are part of life so that I can help their heart understand it can survive distress. Our children will face adversity. They just weren't meant to face it alone. And if there were one secret to keeping their hearts soft, it would be this. So when we hear and when we see our child hurting from bullying or other types of wounding, we as parents should welcome this expression and help our children find their tears and feel their sadness. This is a sign of emotional health. We shouldn't rush to calm our children down or try to fix things. We just simply need to bear witness and come beside them and make it safe for them to feel and express these feelings, these vulnerable feelings. And that will help build resilience in our children and help them recognize that being wounded is survivable and our love and the safety and rest they feel in our care will help to provide the healing that they need. I'm going to move on now to my third suggestion, my third strategy to bully-proof your child. Ensure that your child is parent and adult-oriented versus peer-oriented. 
So peer orientation and a peer-oriented child, that phrase was coined by, again, psychologist Dr. Neufeld. And what he was referring to is a child who is more attached to their peers than their parents or adults that are in caretaking positions in their lives. And these kids take their cues from and seek to be alike and are obsessed sometimes with pursuing connection with their peers instead of resting in the care of their parents or orienting towards their parents, their teachers and other caregivers in their lives. Peers will never be a healthy substitute for the secure attachment of a parent due to the inherent immaturity of children. Children, they're, they're creatures of impulse. And because of that, they can easily hurt each other's feelings. And one day, and I'm sure we've often seen this or experienced this, um, children, one day they're best friends and the next day they're enemies. And children who are peer oriented and looking for security in relationships with others are not gonna find it with peers. They're going to come up short repeatedly and because of that, peer-oriented children will continue to feel unfulfilled and possibly be deeply wounded more than their counterparts who are more adult-oriented and parent-oriented. So how does this relate specifically to bully-proofing your child? Well, if you see your child is seeking the approval from peers and has their self-worth tied up in being accepted by their peers, they're on shaky, dangerous ground. Peers, like I said, are not capable of providing the same kind of deep and secure attachment that a parent can. Peers can't create that bullyproof vest for another child, a peer. And so as peer-oriented children grow up and perhaps start participating in communicating and accessing their peers 24-7 because of phones and social media, it's like they have a non-stop pursuit for acceptance and validation and trying to find a sense of their own significance in their peers, a place that will never feel fulfilling. And in the worst circumstances, could provide a place of devastation and wounding, particularly if this peer-oriented child is a recipient of cyberbullying. So if a child's self-worth is tied to the acceptance and validation by peers, and that proves unsuccessful, then what? What then? If a child is peer-oriented, they don't have a natural instinct to go to their parents or other adults in their lives who could support them and help them um, with these wounding feelings. So know that this can be a contributor to a child potentially being deeply wounded by bullies and know the signs and what to do about it. So key warning signs, just real briefly um, of peer orientation Think of a child who can never get enough time with their peers. They're with them all day at school, and then they need playdates every single day after school, and they always want more time, more time, more time. They're with their um, peers all day long at school, and they come home, and they immediately are FaceTiming, texting, Snapchatting them, just constant pursuit of their peers. 
Um, another warning sign is a child who takes on the speech or dress or interest of peers just to kind of fit in. And they are not really asking themselves or saying true to their own interests or the way that they like to dress. It's all influenced by their peers. And the third clear warning sign is that you have a child who can no longer take cues from parents or teachers and follow directions or suddenly act rudely or kind of reject the requests of adult figures when in the company of peers, they become the class clowns or struggle to pay attention because they, again, are just constantly seeking connection with their peers. So how can you avoid or reroute a child who's become fairly peer-oriented and help them become more parent or adult-oriented? Well, there's a whole book written on this subject by Dr. Gordon Neufeld called Hold On to Your Kids. I'll put a link for it in my show notes. I'll also put a link to the article that I read the quotes of a little while back. So if you feel like this is a big issue for your child and you need a lot of information and strategies, I highly recommend reading that book. But just to give you a few pointers, the first thing is, again, back to cultivating a secure parent-child attachment. Another thing is to help your child develop a strong sense of self, their interests, what they like, what they don't like, how they like to dress so that they can hold on to that and stay true to themselves when they're around their peers and don't feel like they have to change themselves to fit in. And parents can also avoid encouraging their children to be like their peers. Sometimes parents with the best of intentions will encourage their children to dress a certain way or style their hair a certain way, or maybe try to act a certain way to, to fit in and gain acceptance by their peers. And in so doing, they're kind of reinforcing that um, the, the key here is to try and fit in and be like their peers, which again is setting a child up for peer orientation and potential further wounding. Another tip, and this is directly from Dr. Newfeld. he says, quote, don't court the competition. So that means just don't, don't schedule or provide too many opportunities for your children to be with their peers. Don't have playdates every single day after school. Don't have constant sleepovers with your children and their peers. Limit it. Keep it in in balance with time when your children are not with their peers. You know, when it comes to things like access to peers via phones and social media, set some limits, keep an eye on that. Even if they're not physically with their peers, are they constantly with them and interacting with them via their phones and social media? That's something that also needs to be addressed. And also Avoid overemphasizing the importance of friends and orchestrating friendships and focusing so much excessively on how to fit in and making friends. This might be setting them up not only for peer orientation, but also wounding if they're experiencing a lot of bullying type behaviors from these peers that you're trying to encourage them to um, play with. And if your children seem to be always um, experiencing bullying or wounding from particular peers, restrict access to those peers. 
just do not allow them to interact with them more than is necessary. And instead, seek out healthier peer relationships for your child. Healthier peer relationships often are ones where there's a natural hierarchy in place because of the age of the children. So it can be really helpful for your child to maybe play with a neighborhood kid um, that's maybe a little bit younger, where they'll be less likely to be bullied or dominated. And again, know that while, you know, healthy peer friendships are wonderful, I'm not saying, I'm not saying your child should be kept from their peers and not developing friendships, but it just needs to be in the right level of importance for your child and know the warning signs when, you know, having friendships with with peers has actually turned into something else like this peer orientation. Okay, moving on to strategy number four to bully-proof your child, and that is to support your child's passion and talent and interests. Um, This is part of that, um, that uh, helping your child feel significant. Um, when I'm talking about the strong attachment, when you recognize your child's interests and passions and support them in developing them further, you're reinforcing not only your attachment, but you're also helping your child focus on something that can be very uh, fulfilling for them. And this is really important, particularly if a child is experiencing bullying and wounding by peers in their social settings. So for parents, this might mean that you need to make peace with accepting whatever it is your child is interested in, whatever their passions may be that might not be your ideal. If your child senses disapproval or disappointment, it will damage and hurt and wound them and their sense of significance and their self-worth. So follow your child's lead as they are kind of showing you what they're interested in, support them and show them that you're there to kind of help them, to help them pursue their interests. Children who identify their passions and their interests and pursue them and set goals and achieve are able to build a true self-esteem that is internal and intrinsically motivated and fed from the inside. And this is a sustainable form of self-esteem versus one that is external and perhaps extrinsically rewarded, the type that is reliant on external praise and validation. And while, of course, that can feel really good in the moment, it's not sustainable. And because of that, it's an unfulfilling source of self-esteem. And kids who don't really have their own interests and passions, similarly, they oftentimes will turn to their peers for that external validation and look for it in the form of how many likes a certain Instagram post gets. And, you know, they'll they'll put themselves out there. And if what is returned is not sufficient, or if what they receive is harsh treatment or bullying, that can have a devastating effect. So again, support your child in whatever it is that interests them and and motivates them. Kids who pursue their interests and talents develop a more solid sense of self-worth. And that becomes yet another layer of protection from bullying. It's like their own version of a self-made bully-proof vest. 
So for lots of kids that might be, you know, sports and for some it's music and theater, or it might be chess or computer programming or Dungeons and Dragons, it doesn't really matter. Whatever interests your child, you know, encourage them and provide opportunities for them to continue with their interests and passions and also be flexible and recognize that your child, it may take time and it may evolve um, and that's okay. Just continue to recognize and support your child and help them dig in and develop and follow those passions and talents. Another benefit that comes from a child who is pursuing these interests is that it oftentimes allows for friendships with peers that are outside of their school setting. And so it provides another opportunity for kids to interact with peers with whom they share common interests. And because of that, it gives them the opportunity to potentially have a positive interaction with peers when maybe that's not working out for them in a different setting, like a school setting. And they oftentimes are able to build healthy friendships that are built upon common interests and not upon power dynamics and fitting in. So while this suggestion is important and applicable for all children, it's essential for our children, especially those who might be experiencing or might in the future experience any form of bullying or exclusion from their peers. My fifth and final suggestion for bullyproofing your child is to step in and protect your child when their emotional well-being is clearly at risk. So no, it's not necessary to step in and steer your child around or protect them from every upset in life, every time that they are maybe encountering kind of mean treatment by peers at school. However, if there is clear bullying or clear patterns of this behavior and treatment towards your child, absolutely that needs to be reported. So meet with the teachers and administrators of your child if that's where it's occurring and alert them to what is going on so that they're notified and can help put together a type of action plan and then involve your child in creating a plan for what to do if they continue to experience bullying, how, what they should do and how they should respond in the moment. And then who is the safe adult to go to, to get help? Kids should not be left to navigate surviving the harsh treatment and abuse by a bully. They absolutely need to have safe adults to turn to to get help. And another time when you absolutely need to step in to protect your child is if you see signs that your child is losing their feelings, like that they're numbing themselves and trying to avoid feeling their feelings this is another moment when you need to step in and take action. Or if you're noticing that your child is becoming really peer oriented and the um, interventions that you're trying are not working, it might be time to take really bold action to protect your child from an environment that might be too wounding and too much for them to bear. So it might be 
time to consider something like bringing your child home and homeschooling them for a period of time, or perhaps making a change in school until the emotional well-being of your child can be restored and or in the case of a peer-oriented child, until the parent-child relationship can be strengthened to a point where your child no longer is peer-oriented and, and becomes more parent-oriented. So in conclusion, I know I've given a lot of information here today, but this is a really important topic. You know, it's important to kind of address the fact that bullies and bullying is not new. It's been around and will continue to be around um, as it's just a part of life. And we all can reflect back on our own childhoods and name the bullies that we knew, or maybe identify that we ourselves went through a period of being a bully. And we probably also can name some people that we would say are still bullies who are adults. Sometimes adults don't grow out of bullying behaviors. So knowing that and accepting that that is just reality and we can't just send our children out into a wounding world, just kind of hoping that our children will not experience any type of harsh treatment by peers or perhaps bullying, we need to instead prepare our children and help them become bullyproof is really necessary to be proactive in bullyproofing your children. And I hope after this episode, you have some ideas of just how to do that and how you can help your child develop this bullyproof vest. Thank you so much for listening today. And I hope you join me on the next episode of the 3D Parent Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in this week to the 3D Parent Podcast. I hope it has provided you with the inspiration you need for building stronger relationships with your children and trusting your instincts when it comes to parenting. If you have a parenting question you'd like answered on the podcast, or if you'd like one-on-one -on -one parent coaching, head over to the3dparent.com and click the contact tab to send me your question. If today's discussion empowered your parenting, please be sure to subscribe to the show, leave a rating and a review. Also, I'd love to connect with you on social media so take a screenshot, share it on your Instagram stories, and tag me at The3DParent. I look forward to meeting you here again next week on The3D Parent Podcast.